Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Jeremy Scheinwald here with another Smart People Should Build Things Venture for America podcast. Today on the show, we have Martin Keene, an industrial designer at heart who can't stop creating such successful products that businesses just seem to spring forth. Martin left a position with a shoe design firm, and while sailing, determined that there had to be a better sandal. He designed a closed-toe sandal that many deemed to be ugly. He had the last laugh as Keen shoes exploded. Martin sold the shares, but the company today lives on and now does allegedly, or um, my research shows, well over $100 million in sales each year, maybe more. Meanwhile, Martin went back to his drawing board, literally his draft board. In his red barn, which he used as a studio, he started to sketch a better chair. Focal Upright was born, a hybrid between standing and sitting for those who preferred less sedentary, sedentary work environments. Look up Focal Upright, all sorts of innovative designs and desks for, for desks and seats. Martin and his wife, Mary, who actually chimes in the podcast here and there, um, a welcome guest, started the company, and they actually recently sold it as well so that he could stay on and focus on the design that he knows and loves so well. Martin and Focal Upright have built things, not just smarter office solutions, but they built a company, and that company has created jobs and value. And that is actually, as you'll hear in the interview, very important to them. And they've employed six VFA fellows in recent years. They're very much in line with what VFA stands for. Not even in line. They are what VFA stands for. Um, for those of you who are new to the show, VFA is a fellowship program for enterprising recent college graduates who launch their careers as entrepreneurs and help grow businesses that create jobs and help revitalize American cities, cities like Providence, where Focal Upright is located. After five weeks of training, VFA fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging U.S. city where they learn how to contribute to a high-growth business. Afterwards, VFA provides the mentorship, network, and resources fellows need to become entrepreneurs, to learn more about Venture for America and support our work, or even to apply to become a fellow. Maybe you'll find yourself at a startup like Focal Upright. Visit VentureForAmerica.org. A tiny bit about me. Uh, I am a, a longtime uh, avid bootstrapped entrepreneur. Uh, you can check out my brands, uh, my company and my brands under missiondrivengroup.com. Group, mission uh, you can find me on Twitter, though I don't tweet that often. Maybe that's appealing, actually. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I always offer to help entrepreneurs, and, and many people have reached out. So if there's anything I can do for you, feel free just to contact me via LinkedIn. Um, and now, enough of a long intro. Let's get to our interview with Martin and sometimes Mary Keene. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Martin, thanks, thanks so much for, uh, for taking the train in from Providence today and joining us. Yeah, real pleasure to be here. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, so let's, let's start from the beginning. Um, uh, you know, tell us about, I, I read that you grew up in kind of a family of makers, um, or I, I think maybe in your words it was, you know, you grew up around people who were, who were doing groovy 70s style furniture and conceptual art. <laughs> uh, paint a picture of, 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 this, of this home environment. Yeah, uh, well, my father went to art school in in the UK. I was born in the UK, and uh, he studied uh, mostly painting. So he got into painting, uh, but loved you know. Come seventies, got into macrame and and uh, furniture, um, but pretty quickly got into the the uh, footwear world. Um, we were born in South. I was born in Southwest England, uh, very close to the home of Clarks of England, and he got a job. Uh, after he realized he couldn't be a an art teacher, which is what he uh, uh, thought he wanted to be, uh, he got a job as a as a shoemaker, 
for Clark's, one of the oldest shoe companies in the world. Right. And and is the so was there any entrepreneurial inkling in any of this, in any, any of the art that you saw around your home and all, any of the dabbling, or was it just kind of you know the homemade uh, like you know recreational type uh, type making and it just kind of rubbed off on you and sometimes somehow you had that entrepreneurial inkling. Yeah, I mean, my father was, has always been very good with his hands, and I think that's really what I what I learned is to sort of to you know generate ideas and create them with your with your own with your own hands and. Uh, I you know I did a little bit of macrame myself in the in the late seventies, which is a uh, you know was something that sort of came and went you know. Right. Um, uh, but he did a lot of uh, he did build a lot of furniture or the furniture we use a very utilitarian type of uh, you know design and and production just for own personal use really not uh, he wasn't a uh, didn't become a well known artist or anything like that just um, you know primarily building for the family. Right and his own pleasure. So you seem to have come by entrepreneurship, uh, you know, honestly on on your own. Yeah, I, my father always worked for companies. Uh, my mother has always worked for companies. They never really, you know, ventured out to start their own thing. And I think maybe that's part of the uh, the Commonwealth background, you know, of, of of England. I think back then in the in the sixties and seventies. Um, so really, I think when when we moved to the U.S., my my parents uh, brought my sister and I to the U.S. in 1971. We actually arrived here in Manhattan, um, and he did that I think really for the family to try and give his young family a uh, you know a new place to stretch their wings. So I guess if entrepreneurship didn't, didn't necessarily run in your blood, shoes certainly ran in your blood. You you started your yeah. you started your career as a shoe designer. Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, actually, my mother's. Uh, Grandfather was also a clog maker in England, so uh, sort of I definitely have shoes in my blood. Um, my father worked for Clark's for many years and worked for U.S. Shoe here in in uh, uh, in the U.S. And I ended up doing some projects with him when I was quite young, uh, just you know making making parts for uh, for clogs and and shoes that would uh, you know eventually become the uh, the the tool, uh, the part that the tool would be made from. So when you started, um, when you started the, the company that, that became the eponymously named, uh, you know, Keen Shoes, um, were you, how, how did that, how did that come about? I mean, were you just solving a problem you encountered or were you like thinking to yourself, boy, there's a shoe category that's really missing here and I as a shoe designer know this. Yeah, I, I think, um, so I went to industrial design school um, realized I wanted to be a professional designer, a product designer. Um, uh, having had this footwear background uh, my, in my young, younger years, uh, and then my father working for these various companies uh, over here, he, he obviously knew a lot of people in the industry. I got into the footwear industry because of that. I enjoyed designing footwear, and I, I have also been a competitive sailor. My father was a sailor. And I, I learned to uh, to race sailboats and realized there was something missing for as a protective piece of protective gear for sailors, uh, and that was a sandal with with toe protection, and that's really where the idea came from. So it was, it was born of born of uh, as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, so, um, you just you saw a need and just wanted to fulfill it. Yeah, I just you know I I I think when you're competing in any sport, um, you're trying to eliminate all. Uh, uh, everything that is a distraction uh, and anything that uh, reduces your focus. Uh, I think with sailing, you're trying to watch the the wind on the water. You're trying to watch the waves. You're watching the competition. You don't necessarily want to watch where you're going on the boat. And I don't know if you've ever sailed, Jeremy, but there are a lot of things on a boat that your feet can kick. If you're, you know, you can kick uh, the cleats and the winches and things. Uh, so the idea was to create a sandal that offered. You know this protection of your toes. Pretty simple idea, right? But there was nothing on the market like it. I, uh, I have I have sailed. My father tries to drag me on a sailboat every year, and I would go if we could just sail. But unfortunately, he starts with but with a very long fatherly lesson that begins with like the moon and tides, <laughs> and four or five hours later we're sailing. So, <laughs> I uh, it's tough for me. Uh, so yeah. I've got a love hate relationship with sailing for that reason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, how far did your how far did your imagination extend when you when you started designing these shoes? Were you like, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll make some of these myself for some friends. You know, maybe it'll be a viable business. Mm. Or were you thinking like, this is going to be a category of shoes? That is is going to be a, a you know this going to be a real business. Yeah, well, I re- started out really just with this first product, which uh, was eventually became the Newport, uh, is the the name of the model, um, and 
Initially, I thought, oh, I'm just going to design a, a protective sandal that would work for sailors, but also be great for adventuring if you're, you know, if you're a, a hiker or you just, you know, you want a product that uh, you can take with you on a vacation and you don't need to bring three pairs of shoes. You can bring this hybrid half shoe, half half sandal uh, with you um, to reduce your, you know, your luggage. So I, I didn't know how big it would be. I think the, our, the timing in our launch was, was uh, part of the success. Uh, and also how I came about creating the product was also uh, you know, another another reason it was successful, I think, is because of the fit and the way I came about creating that fit for the product. So I mean, your obvious question is begged. So what about the timing was so fortuitous in terms of creating this uh, this product? Uh, we launched uh, two years after September. Actually, it was only a year and a half after September 11th, the, uh, you know, the event that happened here in Manhattan. Which you know a lot of a lot of companies uh, in the uh, not just footwear world but in, in you know any any of the companies around uh, around the U.S. and around the world that you know were sort of questioning what the future held um, pulled back the reins on investing in uh, <coughs> design development research uh, and really just uh, at the time I was working as a uh, as a consultant in the industry. And I was laid off from uh, one of my main one of my main uh, consulting gigs. I sort of let you know let all the consultants go. So uh, I had uh, fortunately they gave me a six month severance, and with that um, that timing, you know, when everyone else sort of pulled back, I was like, all right, I'm going to go out and, tr- and try and do something myself because I you know I questioned what I was doing as a footwear designer, working for other people, creating things for other. Uh, you know, for other companies, and I, I felt I wanted to have some ownership in what I was doing, instead of just working as, as a designer. And the owners of these companies were making all the, uh, you know, make, making their own uh, success out of out of my work. I wanted to kind of, you know, get some of my own. Uh, and I think that's uh, September 11th. That that event sort of I think that made a lot of us who were alive at that time, if you were a professional, sort of question. You know, what is it all about? What am I? What am I doing with my professional life? I had um, my wife and I had two young children at the time, and you know, you sort of reflect on what uh, what the world means to them. And I again wanted to grab something and and uh, and make it my own. Mm-hmm. And what I found, so I did my research on Keen shoes, and of course, as soon as I as soon as I I, uh, I looked up Keen shoes, I saw the designs. So I know those shoes. I mean, it's, it's quite a quite a prominent brand at this point, and uh, um, I think distinctive look. And yet, I, here are some of the quotes, I, <laughs> sort of proudly displayed by by Keen shoes. I thought it was the ugliest thing I had ever seen. Uh, I was just trying to figure out what it was. You know, why, what was? I mean. <laughs> Why did something so allegedly ugly become what was you know, Footwear News' launch of the year in 2003? What was the secret to, to, to the success of Keen Footwear? Yeah, well, we launched in yeah in February of 2003, um, and it was just it was the right product at the right time. Uh, sure, they were uh, they were ugly in the way that sort of some you know Birkenstock is ugly. Right. Birkenstock became quite a big brand, um, but. The product I created was a little more svelte looking, <laughs> uh, but I think you know it comes down to the utility and the fit and how you feel while wearing something. And if, especially if you were an adventurer or somebody that's really just looking for a piece of equipment, not necessarily fashion. And I've never really been uh, a fashion designer. I've mm. always been about utility and creating something that's that's uh, functional, very functional, and, and a tool, a tool uh, for the human. F- in this case, for the foot. Um, so I think it was it was the fit of the product. People didn't care what it looked like wearing them. Uh, you know, I, I was the kid uh, at the bus stop in grade school that was wearing the rain slicker when it rained, and all the cool kids were in their sweatshirts. Right. And uh, you know, I show up at school and I take off my rain jacket, and who's cool now? Right. <laughs> so I didn't. I never really cared what I looked like or right. what you know, what people thought of of what I was wearing. I just wanted it to be functional. So you made this I mean, I, sort of I, I, amazing decision in 2004 um, when the tsunami hit in Asia. You donated, you know, your Keen's entire marketing budget to tsunami relief. Um, like, how? I mean, that's like giving away your oxygen. And obviously, I, I think it's important to be you know, socially conscious and charitable. But you know, to a point, uh, you know. A, 
worried, you know, as I'm reading this, I know you survived, but I would, as, as someone mm. who, if I worked for you, I'd be like, are we going to tank the company by doing this? And, and, you know, so I'm curious, like, how you came to that decision and how it impacted, mm. how impacted the workers of your firm and, and you. Yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, it was a socially conscious thing to do. I've always sort of felt like that was important. You know, you can you can do well by doing good, and that uh, was such a you know a traumatic event. And um, my partner uh, in the business uh, and I realized that it was it was the right thing for the brand. I mean, it was we were a brand that was you know we wanted to bra- uh, to branch out globally. And uh, realized that uh, you know, we wanted to be socially conscious and always you know, try and put a, you know, put our money where our mouth was. Um, and so, yeah, that it was about five hundred thousand dollars that were put towards uh, primarily Medicines Global and uh, American Red Cross at that time. And it's the companies continue to do that ever since. I clearly, no. It's clear it was a smart decision, and no looking back. I, I can't, you know, it, it 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 gives the uh, individual uh, who's buying our product a good feeling about the brand, right? right. I mean, it, we you know we didn't really exploit it. We did run one ad that said, "This is the last ad, the first and the last ad you'll ever <laughs> see from Keen um, in 2004." And people are like, "Wow, that's a pretty bold move." Right. And you know, sort of puts drives a stake in the ground and uh, allows people uh, to realize your. Uh, yeah, you, know, you mean business, and you know you care. Yeah, bold and and, and impressive, um, and, and certainly seeming like the right choice. Seems like you know Keen just continued to grow and grow. Yeah. Um, you said of a, of a previous shoe design position, quote: after one too many meetings on, on whether to introduce a shoe in eggplant or sky blue. <laughs> Uh, I knew, or maybe this is written about you, Martin knew he couldn't stay in the corporate world. He was, quote, watching the slow death of his creativity. I like that that phrasing, slow death of his creativity. Did that same feeling creep in at your own company? Like, how, you, you ultimately left your own company. So how, how did you determine it was time to go? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I think that that came from the idea that, you know, when I worked for these different companies, in, I worked for two companies in-house, and then I became a consultant. I was a consultant for seven years, I think, for a multitude of companies. But when I was working in-house, I, I realized that I spent maybe 25% of my time actually being creative, and I was hired as a designer. And you end up be, being pulled into sales meetings, uh, marketing meetings, um, you know, things that are, they're important. It's important to understand the direction the company's headed, but if you want to just create product, yeah, and that's what I wanted to do. So I think that's why I became a consultant, so I could really focus on the design. Um, I think when uh, I decided to uh, to sell my ownership of Keen to my partner was really because I had come up with another idea actually before Keen that I realized was impactful um, in actually the creation of Keen. It, it, it helped me to create Keen by, uh, and this is a, this piece of furniture, which uh, eventually became Focal Upright. Um, I think it was, I just felt it was the most, uh, it was much more important for, I guess, for humanity, in a, in a way, because I think we were, I was suffering sitting down. I suffered, I think my creativity suffered, you know, sitting, being sedentary, uh, and realized that uh, I wanted to feel more energized, and especially when I worked for, uh, you know, I think at one point I, have, I had five, four or five different clients that I was working with and shuffling these different clients and trying to be, you know, squeeze as much creativity out of myself. And I realized it was about posture. It was about the how I actually physically worked that allowed my brain to really kick in and, and get into that flow state for a longer period of time. And, uh, you know, as a, as a professional, a creative professional, or whether you're a coder, um, a writer, shoe designer, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, if you can squeeze more of that flow state out of your day, then you can be that much more successful and that much more creative. Right. So last keen shoes question, then we'll definitely get to focal upright. Yeah. <laughs> is it weird to walk around the world looking at shoes? I mean, is there a time where you, you're just like looking at people's feet and, and you know, you, you don't, you're like, oh, I haven't, I don't know if you, how could you know that you didn't see something, I suppose, but are you are you able to shut it down? Or are you still walking around this world saying like, oh, there go a pair of keen shoes. Isn't that cool? Yeah, no, it's still, it's still pretty pretty cool and I think my my wife uh, uh, resists uh, helps me to resist the urge to go up and say hey what do you think of those shoes it's been you know since I think it's been 12 years since I've first the first sighting in the wild right um, you know 2004 I think it was uh, 
we were on a ferry somewhere, and, and I, I saw the first sighting in the wild. I was like, oh, my God. So I had to go up and talk to that individual. But, what happened in that conversation? Um, they were uh, amazed that uh, I was the guy that right. uh, you know, was, whose last name is on their on the sole of their shoe. Um, and it was just, yeah, it's one of those things. I guess it, it never really sinks in. You know, it's still, uh, pretty, it's still pretty cool. Yeah, my father's manufacturer and uh, of a whole bunch of things that just fade into the distance. And, and the only consumer product, actually, that, that he made is that his company made um, was the world leader in, in designing uh, cane, canes for the blind. I say was because he literally retired two weeks ago. He just sold his company after oh, 40 fantastic. years. Wow. And, uh, and canes for the blind, every single time I'd see someone walk by with a cane, I would look to see if they had the, if they, if they had the label. And it just, it was like so compulsive for me. I couldn't wow. stop doing it. So yeah. I know I know what that's like. I mean, I was, I was like... I, I was like, there are probably way more pairs of keen shoes out there, and I would just be for the rest of my life looking, you know, right and left yeah. at those shoes. So. Yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, it's great when you see, yeah. you know, a lot of folks who go to Costa Rica or some of the you know, real sort of extreme adventure um, vacations. They generally pack one pair of shoes, and it's my shoes, which is pretty, which yeah, it's is a pretty great cool. Point of pride. That's yeah, it's amazing stuff. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. So let's 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 talk about the the beginning of, of Focal Upright. You alluded to it there. Um, it, you know, I, I we think of so many great American businesses starting in the garage. In your case, yours even more traditional and idyllic in my mind. You're started in a, in a, in a red barn. Mm-hmm. Tell us about how you how you uh, how you came up with the with the with the how, how you. It's, it's actually interesting also that you as I digress from away from my own question, which I promised myself I'd stop doing. <laughs> how you you innovated in two things that we that we uh, you know. Take, sort of take for granted, like shoes and chairs, yeah. you know, things we use so often. People are busy innovating in all sorts of different ways, and you're like going to the most basic things that need innovation, obviously. So. Yeah, and and two of the most designed things in the world, um, besides cars, I think footwear and, and chairs uh, are really some of the most designed objects mm-hmm. that uh, humans have have continued to uh, you know evolve. Uh, so. Uh, Again, trying to keep myself in this zone, this flow state uh, of, of creativity, uh, I, I realized standing was much better than sitting. I didn't like sitting. I didn't like the chair or something about it. Since you know, grade school, I remember being that kid, and just probably like you, Jeremy, fidgeting and being told to sit down, stay still, pay attention. Absolutely. It didn't work for me as a kid, and it didn't work for me as an adult. It still doesn't. Um, it, we're, our bodies are we're born to move, and... You know, trying to sit still and, and complete a task creatively or keep your brain engaged in what you're doing was a, is a physical thing. So I realized that standing was better, so I bought an architect's drafting table and started standing for a while. I realized, you know, after some weeks, um, I needed to prop myself up in the standing position somehow. So I actually went to a local antique store that had some old, uh, an old uh, rusted, tractor seat that somebody had put made into a high stool it was still a high sitting platform but i just sort of tipped the thing forward and started working in this leaning state and realized that was much better um i kind of forgot about my my body and i think if you can transcend that the physicality uh and get into that you know just your focus on creativity or your you know whether you're a writer or again a footwear designer it doesn't really matter um it, I realized it was a physical thing, that if I could uh, posture myself in this upright state, and I, so I started tinkering um, in the barn, building uh, many pro- many different prototypes uh, of this upright seat device, and uh, I didn't really know what I was getting into at the time. I didn't realize what I was creating would eventually become a company after I created the company that I was, you know, working to build at that time, the footwear company. So, um, but again, it's another product born of need. So I've developed two products f- for myself that have become uh, you know, successful in, in the world. Uh, and they're both born of my own personal need. And you know, if you realize something you need, you know that millions of other people have that same need as well. 
that's actually my follow-up, which is, I mean, how do you determine really that this is something that other people, that it isn't just for you, that other people really do need this? And, and, and when you have this idea, I mean, I think, I think recently, you know, now you see people a little bit, I have a couple people in my office who are, st- who are standing and working and stuff like that, but mm. I think when you had that idea, the little bit that I know from, a, from an inside source, you had this idea quite a long time ago, actually. Mm. How did you have a vision for, yeah, this is, this is definitely what people need to the point where I want to invest my money and time in this. Yeah, well, that, that was a long time evolving. I mean, I really built that first prototype back in 1995. Hmm. Uh, I launched Keen in 2003. Um, you know, continued to stay in the footwear world uh, until uh, what we launched uh, Focal in 2012 uh, here in New York City. Uh, so there was a long incubation period and in realizing that it was what I thought it was. I knew it was great for me. I, I, I made a, a, a very portable uh, version of it and took it around to you know, show my friends and get their impression. A lot of them came to my barn and tried it out. I wanted to get as many opinions as I could. Uh, and it, it all added up to building my own confidence into, oh, yeah, this is something that uh, that is different. Um, and having created a change in the footwear world um, by creating a product that was better fit, better function, uh, gave me the, the professional confidence to you know, boldly go where no chair has gone before, which is upright. <laughs> and um, I think it's, uh, again, like I said, it, it's, I think it was more important for, um, it's a more important thing than, than creating another footwear brand. Uh, to create a, a completely do, new way of working. I knew a lot of people were starting to buy these standing desks. Standing isn't the answer because it's tiring, and I, I realized that. You know, so I, I kind of went through the whole, uh, the whole process. Um, so I think it's... it's uh, I, I, look, I went to industrial design school and was trained by German designers. So that, you know, I, that was a very functional... Uh, they, they drive sort of a very functional uh, utility... Uh, state into you uh, and into your design um, sense so I think that really uh, again I, and I've been also been you know the kind of person that was just wanting to create tools that help uh, humans and you know chairs I think we're we're harming so <laughs> no, that's interesting because I, I, I think I I you're actually giving me insight like I actually I work for like 25 minutes and then I just I have to like Walk around, yeah. and, and like I've always thought, maybe it's just like I have AD. I think yeah, I it's just have ADD, you. But it just, exactly. I, I so, think, is it just me that feels that this yeah. is a better way to work? No, yeah. you know, obviously you you have to try it out before you kind of boldly put your you know your money out there and say, all right, I'm going to start something new, right, and create a new a new way of working, a new upright way of working. So you, you mentioned that you, you brought some friends by the barn, and last time you brought your friends by the uh, figurative barn. They chuckled at the design of Keen shoes, and mm. you had the last laugh. This time, was anyone laughing, or were they like, "No, this guy's this guy knows <laughs> what he's doing. He did it once before. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll hold back." Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely had some laughs with the, uh, the, the whole the footwear thing. I, you know, this is after I cast all my friends' feet in the barn, so right. you know, to develop the fit of Keen. Um, but no, I don't think there were anyone was laughing people at that point. People got this. People yeah. got the got the people the, got it. the chair right the 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 seat right away. They they got it. I mean, it's still you know it's archetypically not a chair. It does not look like a chair. It's it's something. It's more of a human kickstand than anything else. <laughs> so it's it definitely looks iconically new. Um, but you know what's new and different today is normal tomorrow. Right. So. So this is a loaded question because your wife Mary is sitting here very, very quietly and politely. Uh, but you started your second venture with your wife, who is free to chime in at any time here, especially on this question. Um, riding shotgun alongside you, what would you say to someone considering starting a business with a with a spouse or partner, um, life partner, etc.? Uh, I think you have a very have to have a very strong, uh, caring and loving relationship and and great, you know, a uh, very trusting relationship um we i think are a perfect complement uh, i'm completely disorganized and chaotic <laughs> and mary is completely organized and and uh, and kind of keeps you know keeps me all buttoned up so i think we're uh, um 
I don't know if I'm a compliment to her. She's definitely a compliment to me. Okay. I have to jump in now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been sitting here quietly biting my tongue. Um, but we, we, know, we, now have, we now have our first surprise guest on the show. Yes. <laughs> uh, look out, world. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we are very complimentary in terms of what he's good at and what I'm good at and, and, and what works well together. And I, and I would agree that... Um, you know, I, I think that Martin functions best uh, when he is completely unfettered to do, you know, the creative stuff. And if he's not having to worry about all the other details, then um, the company is better for it. And so uh, we didn't really sit down and say, hey, we're going to start this new furniture company together. We, we, we really never had that conversation. And we, um, we, you know, Martin was kind of starting the, the planning of it. And I said... You, I told him, you need help, <laughs> and I'm going to help you. And that was kind of the beginning of Focal, or our partnership. So, so yeah. Martin was the design, and you were kind of the, the business and administrative I, side of everything? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I think I did pretty much, in the beginning, it was just the two of us, so I did everything else. And, um, you know, we were very fortunate in the very beginning to bring in some very savvy investors and some great partners who, you know, quickly helped us take off the different hats that I was wearing and, and, and Martin was wearing. and. Um, you know, we were able to grow the business smartly that way. So I was told that it was I was told that it was even more of a family affair that some of your first investors were family members. Maybe you even had other family. I'm seeing some shaking no. heads here. No, it was uh, okay. No, it's just Mary and I, um, and then uh, some investors from uh, an investor from the West Coast, some okay. uh, several investors from the West Coast, um, and one also from from Rhode Island. Uh, but that I'd known from the sailing world. But that doesn't include the, you know, multiple times that maybe Martin's parents came and said, oh, we'll help you in the warehouse. And, <laughs> Investment you know, my, of time. My, yeah, my brothers would come and say, sure, we'll fold boxes for you, you know, because when it's in startup, you're rolling up your sleeves and just doing whatever you got to do. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, which, which actually does lead me to, to a question about that initial risk. Like, how do you, I mean, was it as simple as maybe building a couple of prototypes and then pre-selling them? Or did you have to go out and invest a lot of money and say, look, like we've, in order to get this thing on the ground, we, we got to manufacture, I don't know, 5,000 of these things. I, I don't know yeah, how many. No, we, um, you know, create the concept, uh, build some prototypes. We built uh, six prototypes of the seat, one prototype of our, of our desk. Uh, I, we built a, a 20 by 20 uh, trade show booth, which was quite a striking design, and showed up here in Manhattan in May of 2012 at the uh, uh, C, uh, ICFF show, the Inter International Contemporary Furniture Fair, which I knew was sort of a design, you know, world-known design show, uh, and you know, really just kind of you know doing that, getting that far, and then saying, you know, all right, what's the reaction? What do people think? Uh, we had a huge amount of press. People were impressed with the product. We did launch our own, you know, it was our own version of a Kickstarter at that time, which was a 25% off. If you order now in May, we'll deliver by December a seat. And we ended up selling, I think, 250 seats and you know, almost 200 desks. So we, we definitely took orders and took people's money. This is sort of like day one. You sold this was day one. 250 yeah, seats. Yeah, um, by June 1st or, you know, End of May, June first, we our, our website went live. Uh, we had a little e-commerce site on there, and yeah, so it was it was definitely a you know, a risk to kind of get to the show. But once you get to the show, then then you you have all these commitments to to actually performing and actually you know creating the the tooling to create the product and deliver the product on time. So, and and that social mindset that was embedded in in your previous business. Does that, is that something that needs to happen spontaneously, or did you try to embed this as well in, in Focal Upright as well? I tried to do it here as well in, in as much as uh, trying to you know, bring as much manufacturing here as we could. So we work with global partners to create parts you know, in Germany and in Asia, uh, but we, did the, uh, we do the assembly in, in Rhode Island. Uh, so we've been building... I don't know. We built thousands and thousands of seats in in Rhode Island, which is you know in in a uh, big industrial park right next to where they were currently building our nuclear submarines in Quonset uh, <laughs> Quonset Point. So there's no, no shortage of talent nearby yeah. if you need some <laughs> engineering yeah, uh, help. Well, we're not going to pay seventy five dollars <laughs> an hour like the uh, defense industries uh, right. uh, pay, but. Yeah, no. There's a, there obviously, you know, Rhode Island is uh, it has a great history of manufacturing. The you know the uh, 
Industrial Revolution in this country really started in in Pawtucket and the Providence area. Um, so there's a great history of that in in the state, and I I just wanted to try and do as do as much as I could to try and employ as many people as we right. could. You know, and speaking of, speaking of employing people, so I was I was told maybe I want to make sure I'm getting my facts right here, but that VFA fellow Rachel Apostles was your first was one of your first hires first outside hire I don't know what that refers to actually outside hire uh, yeah <laughs> non family yeah. hire I guess uh, well non investor hire I think okay. she was okay she was the first right no actually um, our social media we had a social media director was our, actually our first hire okay um, and yeah then so we Rachel had, was close but yeah how, I mean, how did you guys become aware of, of VFA and how did you guys determine that you wanted to be a a VFA company. Yeah. Um, well, our, our CFO uh, and I were had had a lunch with somebody with with um, uh, the founders of Beta Spring in Providence, Melissa Withers uh, and Alan Tier, and they had mentioned VFA to us. I'd never heard of it. It had just really kind of gotten started. I think um, Rachel was in the first first class, mm-hmm. second class. Mm. So they had hired some VFA fellows. Uh, I think one or two, and we said, oh, we you know we we'd love to. To check it out, we were a little late to the game, but Rachel, fortunately, was still available, and uh, she was absolutely fantastic. She's and been a, a great, and she was with us for three, over three years. And then since then, I think you've hired five or six more fellows, and um, it seems like a very strong, strong marriage. Um, you know, a, a second question of a strong marriage here: What makes a good, a good marriage between uh, between Focal Upright and uh, and VFA? I, I think the training that. Uh, well, the screening that the VFA does, and then the training they put them through, and, and Mary and I were fortunate enough to uh, early the spring be um, part of the um, selection committee. Okay. Uh, you know, judging these VFA fellows, and I, I would love to have gone through that at, at that age and have mm-hmm. failed. You know, because mm-hmm. you learn so much about yourself and how you work with other other individual other, other peers. Um, that uh, I think it's it's a growth opportunity whether you succeed and get into become a, a fellow or if you fail. Um, so I think it's yeah, it was just an impressive group and the way they train the you know the, the rigor they put them through. Um, I think Andrew's vision uh, for you know to really bring the youth uh, the the bright youth of uh, of today up and work you know put them into these these um, these small incubator type situations where you know i mean rachel was brought in initially as a salesperson we realized you know we were so we were so small we realized that she was um much better at at marketing and you know i think as a as a small company you want to try and put the right people in the right spot so if somebody you hire somebody and they they have a great deal of talent you want to shift them to what their what they feel their strengths are and what their passions are so so uh she's you know, she became eventually became our our head of marketing. Oh wow, yeah, that's, that's great. Could jump jump in, Mary. Yeah, jump, jump in. in. Jump in. You're uh, here. Yeah, I just I just <laughs> wanted to say a little bit more about how Focal operates. You know, w- with the VFA fellows when they come to us and all and all the employees. It's not really by design, but our company is really transparent. Um, you know, where when the fellows come and when all of our employees are there. The, the, it's it's very open doors and phone uh, conversations are overheard all the time and so there's not a whole lot of um, stuff that isn't seen and heard by the fellows and mm-hmm. so they and, and this is the feedback that they've given us is that they get an amazing opportunity to listen in on in, you know to when we're speaking with investors when we're speaking with you know teams of lawyers about this that or the other you know whether it's patent or um, you know just a variety of things um, you know, just hand in hand with our CFO, and just working really closely and, and getting an experience of what it's like to build that business from the ground up, re- really up close and, and front. And so, um, I think that that's been a th- that's the feedback they've given us is that it's, it's a really powerful experience for them in those different ways. The access that they get, you know, to what we're doing, I, I think it's, it's it's been amazing for them. It's been fantastic for us because, as Martin said. The, the students that go through that program, you know, never mind the ones who didn't, who who, who succeeded. I'm like all of them who are candidates are pretty amazing people. But the ones who make it through and become fellows, you know, geez, mm-hmm. it, it's just that they are passionate, they are fired up, they are so smart, and we just learned the fine art of surrounding ourselves with people who are way f- smarter than we are. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I mean, look, I, I, I talked to talked to your, one of your current fellows uh, before uh, before in, as part of my research, and uh, and and they, they it's interesting they range about the same things that you said. You know, that tran- transparency and also the passion. I mean, you guys said that that uh, at the beginning it was like all hands on deck, and people would come into the back and help uh, assemble things and the like. And and Daniel said the said the exact same thing. He said the, there's been times where the front office clears out and everyone goes into assembly mode, and mm-hmm. um, which leads me to my next question. I mean, talk about some of the challenges of of scaling a business like that and and uh, you know were you like wow we just got a I don't know a 250 seat order we had did, got 250 on the first day we just got 250 today how do we how do we meet these de- demands like I got to imagine demand is very wonky at the at the beginning as you're starting to develop a brand and identity so how do you how do you deal with some, with some of those challenges of growth in a manufacturing business uh, well I think by design we created the company thinking that look, we want to build a machine, but I imagine this machine is going to run away from us. And maybe we need to think about, you know, uh, aligning ourselves with another machine, um, you know, creating something and then uh, partnering or, or or selling, you know, uh, as, as we have, uh, as we've done a few months ago. Uh, I think it, we didn't really know what to expect as far as, you know, the order flow. And fortunately, I think we were pretty pretty good at, at having enough inventory to cover uh, our orders. Um, so it's it's something, yeah, it's impossible to, to gauge, especially with something that's quite new. You don't know if it's going to all of a sudden take off or it's going to be a slow climb. And uh, it's, I think, building a, a footwear brand is, you know, everyone, uh, everyone's always looking for something new in, in, in a sense, footwear is fashion. Um, what we've created here, I think, is something a little bit, a uh, little bit different. The, the build is a little bit slower as far as the momentum of, uh, of volume that's act- actually going out the door, uh, number of product. Um, so f- fortunately, we haven't gotten too far ahead of ourselves as far as orders are concerned. We've been uh, successful enough to stay in business, uh, and you know the trend is continuing to build. People are buying more standing desks, and they're realizing that. It's tiring to stand. I don't want to go back to the chair. So it's just it's something that's not going to go away. Um, but I think we've kind of been I don't know somebody calls it like loading the uh, the arrow. Mm-hmm. You know, it take to create <clears throat> the future. You got to full first pull the pull the arrow back, um, and just know that that future is out there. And I think we're still in that mode even four years in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we haven't haven't gotten to the point where we have run out of stock really uh, too badly. Um, I think we've been very careful in sort of monitoring, uh, monitoring that. But uh, it's it's always a risk. You don't know. You don't know what you're getting yourself into, especially when you're jumping into industry you know nothing about. You know, none of us are we're from the furniture world. Um, we attempted to to learn as much as we could as quickly as we could. Uh, but again, we're creating something quite different. So uh, you mentioned the, the the recent sale of your of your company of Focal Upright to Safeco. Um, Daniel uh, also said he said your job is to be the quote cool little brother to a much larger furniture company, um, which I think is a really great spot to be in. Um, uh, how do you you know as a person who who clearly you know finds a lot of meaning in work and respects the culture and and operates with a lot of you know vision and integrity for for the broader picture for the firm you know how do you how do you ensure you find the right partner? I, I, you know, what kind of diligence do you do on the acquirer? Mm. Well, uh, this company, Safeco Products, uh, which is based in, in Minnesota, uh, they're a great company. They've been in business for over 50 years, and uh, they're sort of a mid-tier uh, product, um, a mid-tier furniture company. So they don't, they're not high-end, they're not low-end, they're sort of that, uh, that every, every man's or every woman's uh, furniture brand. And... I think we um, we realized we wanted to to partner with somebody that was not a high end design because we would kind of get lost, uh, but and not a not low end. You know, we that was just not what the brand I wanted the brand to be. So um, th- they actually have had been courting us for about eighteen months prior mm. to our our saying, yeah, okay, we'll, we're interested in talking. Uh, and we did our research on them. Uh, obviously, as I as I said, they've been in business for fifty years. They're a family-owned company. They they care a great deal. Um, their CEO, uh, Mike Fitterman, the owner, uh, is is the great grandson um, of the 
of the um, of the company, uh, the, of the founder of the company, and uh, they they give back to the community. So they you know they have the right sort of flavor, the right sort of feel to them for us. And the people are just they're they're great folks. Um, so we definitely did our our diligence on you know what kind of partner, what kind of parent you want to have. I mean you're being adopted in a way. Uh, and we wanted we wanted to maintain the same sort of culture, and part of the deal was that we you know, we maintain our Rhode Island facility, uh, we maintain our our group of of folks that are creating this the, the marketing the product um, going forward. Uh, uh, but you know to to align yourself with a machine that has the the distributive power that they have is exactly what we wanted because we wanted to get this product to you know to help more more people as many people as we possibly could as quickly as we could. So we, we were at a point where we were realizing that we were either going to have to make some significant investments in really building up a sales team. I mean, our sales team was relatively small, and with this acquisition, it just you know exploded right. in terms of the just the reach that we had. And mm-hmm. when you're doing something that is as us- unusual as focal products, just getting in front of people and just showing them the product and and it it was crucial and so just having that sheer volume of people that number of people out there talking about focal is something that would have taken a very significant step on our part to get to right Mm. and so pardon me mary already said that that uh that you're at your best when you're you, you can do the creative stuff Mm. is this is that part of the deal for you i mean is is that the idea that you can you know, you can leave maybe leave the business to someone else, and and you can focus your energies exclusively where you want to focus them. Yeah, I think that was a big part of it for me. Uh, you know, the risk of of Mary and I and our investors being you know being out there, uh, you know, putting all the money in, um, building the operation, building the you know buying the inventory, handling the distribution, handling the sales. Uh, it's it becomes seventy percent of the task, eighty percent of the task. Uh, or, or or more, and the design becomes uh, you know it kind of gets lost. You can't you can't get back in and and continue to create more product because you've got to feed the machine. So to be able to you know partner with a machine that, uh, like Safeco Products is um, is great because now we can focus on the design of you know what's next. We can focus on how do we market what we already have and what we believe the future of the workplace uh, looks like. So we have a, a very strong marketing team. Uh, we have a very strong uh, product sourcing team, uh, e-commerce. Uh, you know, as as you alluded to, our operation is is being taken over by Safeco. Um, uh, but they've also just you know they're they're continuing to acquire. They bought a company, uh, another company in uh, in Wisconsin. It's a huge manufacturer of furniture in in Wisconsin. So uh, again, continuing to you know to broaden uh, our distribution. You know, using uh, their current resources and then the resources that are being added by this this new company. So, how do you gird against the? Uh, is, th- is this maybe this is how you <laughs> how you gird against the quote unquote slow death of your creativity? Is that you know, as long as you're left to to design, you will, will you be happy? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I, you know, just like when I was a little kid, when I've got when I'm making something with my hands um, or or drawing something, I just you know, I, I feel like I'm that's when I'm most energized. You know, really engaged with, with what I'm doing. So you've changed the shoe and the chair. Is there anything else that, in your mind, needs shaking up? Um, well, I mean, as I as I said, you know, shoes and chairs are are the most designed objects in the world. Uh, but they've also kind of been responsible for uh, taking us away from our our animal past in a way. If you think about, you know, wearing shoes in the in the wilderness is is not the same as. You know, walking on the earth. Um, when we're sitting on the ground, it's not the same as sitting in a chair. So it's kind of transformed how we are physically, but also in a an emotional way. And a um, you know, thinking it, it takes us away from that animal that we that we used to be, but we still are. We still are that. Um, so what's next? I, I don't know. I mean, I you know, we still have to sit in cars. Um, so maybe we do an upright uh, upright vehicle. <laughs> That's the third most designed uh, object in the world. Uh, there's a little bit of investment there. So are there any? Uh, fascinating. Uh, my mind is now wandering. Are there, are there are there any ideas from 1995 left in that barn that you're that you're uh, that you're still kicking around? Yeah, I do have a, a few prototypes of uh, of a few things. Again, they're very they're uh, they're tools. Um, 
uh, versus you know fashion objects. Uh, I don't I don't want to share with you what they right. what they are right, right. now. Um, you know, still tinkering. I guess maybe that's a different question or a, a different version of a question, which is, you, you know, you 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 say you're very much a designer, and it, it seems like you really are, but you also have started two companies. You know, are there, you know, would you could you you know die happy today, or would you would you feel like yeah I'm an entrepreneur too, and like I want to I want to keep going. There's another company I want to start at some point in my life. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely restless. I love to create stuff, but I also I love to throw pottery. I love to make sculpture, um, you know, which uh, is really just f- for a very individual uh, passion. Uh, it's not for the masses. Um, I I, f- I feel like. Uh, I've I've definitely made a name for myself uh, in the professional world. Um, I feel satisfied with with uh, where I am now, but uh, I'm not saying I'm not going to start something else. Uh, Mary and I were talking on the on the train ride down here where we'd uh, whether we'd like to live in in Tuscany or the south of France when we retire. <laughs> but uh, you know that's that's a few years down the road, so we'll see we'll see what uh, what's up my sleeve next, Jeremy. Well, if, you're, if it's a standing car, you'll have to. It depends on where you where you invent it because you might be on the wrong side of the road if yeah, you're in Tuscany or France. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks so much for being here. This is this was this was great. It's really great to have uh, to have a maker on the show and a manufacturer and a, and a two-time entrepreneur. Yeah, thanks, so thank you, Jeremy. It's been a real pleasure. And thanks, Mary, too. Thanks for having us. Yeah. a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact choose from premium blinds shades and shutters we even have options for your patio too Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.